0: Welcome to the live stream portion of what we do here uh, almost every weekend at Household of Faith in Christ. Uh, We did not have a live stream last weekend because I preached on Sunday evening instead at Fairview Chapel. All of our sermons and other things related to the uh, church are online. You can link to them through householdoffaithinchrist.com. This week's message, in a sense, is part two of a message that uh, I shared two weeks ago, And I point that out because if you captured last message, which was two weeks ago, uh, the entire sermon, other than a few words during the prayers, (laughs) the entire sermon was nothing but the Word of God. Uh, So you heard 30 minutes of the Word of God shared without any interjection from me. This week is the polar opposite. Um, If I had had the time to do a full, like, hour-long message, I would have blended some of these ideas into one big, long message. We keep our messages here around a half hour. So last time, it was nothing but Scripture, and this time, there's basically no Scripture at all, which just makes me a little, feel a little weird, but because it's basically part two of the last message, I, I'm, I'm feeling kind of okay about it, so we'll see how it goes. But let's begin with a, a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for bringing us together to learn more about you, about how much you love your church, you've called us to be, um, that you have grace and mercy for us, and that uh, we are made in your image, and we are to have grace and mercy for others, particularly the brethren in the faith. We ask that the truth of of your word, the truth of Jesus Christ, the power of your spirit uh, would be evident in the the words in today's message, and it would be a blessing um, uh, to those who hear, whether it be a, a message of conviction or a message of encouragement. Either way, we, we trust in you to move as you always do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Quintus Septimius Florens Tertullianus was born in Carthage, sometime around A.D. 150. He became a lawyer, and when he was about 40 years old, he converted to Christianity. He embraced the gospel with exuberance. He used his legal skills to defend his faithful brothers and sisters from pagan attackers. And today we simply know him as Tertullian. He has been described as a man who was passionate, articulate, totally committed to Christ. With boldness, he he taunted the might of the Roman Empire. He courageously defended persecuted believers. And he harshly reprimanded professing Christians who compromised the faith when they faced pressure from the world. He was persistent in attacking the heresies of his day, especially writing against Gnosticism's threat to Orthodox Christian belief. Tertullian is seen today as having been the pace-setter for the church as it expanded its teaching and influence throughout the Latin-speaking world. He was an important thinker among the saints, breaking ground in theological understanding. In fact, he is even credited with having coined the word Trinity in order to help people understand the biblical teaching about what God is like. He's a fascinating figure, one of the great leaders in all of church history. He has been called the father of Latin Christianity. He's been called the founder of Western theology. However, some of his ideas were rather ascetic. It's a philosophy advocating for extreme self-denial and austerity in how one lives their life. And these ideas, they were adopted by medieval monasticism, for better or for worse. That's definitely a mixed bag, but there's some downside to that whole movement. And late in his life, Tertullian, it's not sure if it was all the way to the end of his life, but certainly for a while, late in his life, he took up with an unorthodox sect, in other words, a heretical sect, called the Montanists. He was drawn to some of their ideas because of this group's strict moral standards, which he was all about. So what do we do with this man? Is he a hero or a heel? A contemporary of Tertullian was another early church father. His name was Irenaeus. He was a bishop, an apologist, and arguably the leading Christian theologian in the second century. He is most famous for having written the classic work Adversus Heresis. I think that's how you say it in Latin In English. It's Against Heresies. It was a refutation of Gnosticism. His other contributions included advancing the development of an authoritative canon of scriptures, clarifying the creed of the true faith, and addressing issues related to the authority of the Episcopal office. As a child, he heard and saw Polycarp, the last known living connection with the apostles who were initially um, commissioned by Christ himself. During his early adulthood, Irenaeus, he served as a missionary in southern Gaul. He was living a life that was rather unusual at the time compared to many others because he, uh, others in his generation anyway, as he grew up in the faith rather than converting to it later in life as an adult. And much like us, he lived during a difficult era. It was a time of expansion by and inner tension within the church. And so Irenaeus, he he acted as a mediator between the various contending factions, insisting that that differences in external factors not be treated as being so serious as to destroy church unity. Irenaeus rightly taught that God began the world and that God has been overseeing the world ever since his creative act. He taught that the world has been intentionally designed by God. And that the high point in salvation history is the advent of Jesus. And he also rightly saw Christ as the new Adam and characterized the penalty for sin as death and corruption. And he emphasized that salvation occurs through Christ. However, he also rather bizarrely believed that our Messiah was 50 years old when he was crucified. And more importantly, Irenaeus also held that philosophy was to the Greeks, as the law was to the Jews, and so Greeks, before the incarnation of Christ, maintained the possibility of salvation by their ethical behavior. A form of salvation by works. So what do we do with this man? Is he a hero or a heel? Having mentioned Polycarp just a moment ago, let's talk about him for a bit. We don't know a whole bunch about this Bishop of Smyrna, because he was a very early church father. And so many of the writings and records from 1900 years ago, they just don't have access to them. They've disappeared over the years. They've been lost. But it appears that he was born around AD 69. This would be before the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And he died possibly in AD 155 is what we think, at the age of 86. And according to ancient sources, he died a martyr, he was bound and burned at the stake and then he was stabbed to death with a spear when the fe- fire failed to consume his body. And before this brutal torture, the aged polycarp, he was commanded by his captors to deny the lordship of Jesus by burning incense to the Roman emperor. And to these demands he is reported to have responded, quote, 80 and 6 years I have served him, meaning God, And he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my King and Savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. His attitude is summed up as well by these words uttered at his farewell. I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour. So that in the company of the martyrs, I may share in the cup of Christ. To this day, Polycarp is regarded as one of the great martyrs of the church. He was a disciple sitting directly at the feet of the apostle John. Seems John might have even been the one who ordained him as the bishop in Smyrna. So therefore, Polycarp is he's regarded as one of three chief apostolic fathers, along with Clement of Rome and Ignatius of Antioch. However, everyone has their detractors, and based upon the available writings, there are those who go out of their way to assert that Polycarp's soteriology wasn't clear. There's room within the writings, so it's argued, to say that Polycarp blended salvation by grace with salvation by works. And in fairness, there is not enough information to go on for us to draw a clear conclusion, in my view. And I I believe the suspicions surrounding his theology are unfounded. But what if the naysayers are correct? What then should we do with this man? Hero or heel? Leaping forward a couple hundred years, we see Athanasius arrive on the scene this is an absolute giant in church history. have been given names such as Athanasius the Great, Athanasius the Confessor, Athanasius the Apostolic. Man was additionally billed as the Pope of Alexandria, the pillar of the church. He served in church leadership for about five decades. He was exiled five times. He famously fought against Arius, the, the false teachers. One historian said of him, Athanasius was the greatest champion of belief on the subject of the Incarnation that the Church has ever known. And in his lifetime, he earned the characteristic title Father of Orthodoxy, by which he has been distinguished ever since. John Henry Newman described him as a principal instrument after the Apostles, by which the sacred truths of Christianity have been conveyed and secured to the world. And yet... He has his detractors who allege that Athanasius was guilty of having defiled an altar, of selling church grain that was meant to feed the poor and keeping the money for his own personal gain. He stands accused even of using violence and murder to suppress dissent. Sir Isaac Newton, of all people, claimed that Athanasius lied about the death of Arius, lied about the letters that he did or did not write, lied in derogatory, polemical terms about other Christians who disagreed with him about such things as the trinity. Are all of these old allegations true? I don't know. I wasn't there. (laughs) But if some of them bear some resemblance... reality. What then? Is Athanasius a hero or a heel? Speaking of the Pope of Alexandria, let's examine the legacy of Cyril of Alexandria. He was a scholarly archbishop. He was a prolific writer. He lived during the uh, fourth and fifth centuries. His theological writings, they remain to this day an important part of the tradition of the church. He was a a champion for orthodoxy. He is particularly known for his battle against Nestorius. Now that dispute is rather complex, but basically Nestorianism holds that Jesus essentially exists as two persons sharing the same body. And Cyril said, get out of here with that nonsense. And he wouldn't put up with nonsense from other heretics either. And so he is a white hat wearing sort of guy. Or is he? Cyril of Alexandria has been identified as an anti-Semite. He violently, brutally went after his opponents. He has been linked to murders. The seizure of sacred treasuries. And hideous slangs under, shall we say, questionable circumstances. Is every little detail of these blights upon his character completely accurate? I will speculate, no. But his reputation as a practitioner of Christian love towards one's enemies is certainly questionable. So what say you? Hero or heel? What about Ambrose of Milan? He's one of the four original doctors of the church. He even baptized St. Augustine. Ambrose correctly held that the church was not morally subject to the rulings of civil government, but that the civil government, rather, was subject to the moral authority of the church. He introduced the concept of congregational singing. How about that? He was an excellent preacher. He stood strong against immorality. Lots of good stuff. But he agreed that Rome was the spiritual head of the universal church And he also encouraged asceticism, we mentioned that a moment ago, that austere, self-denying lifestyle that often leads people to become separatists from society. And Ambrose did not want to be bishop. And so as a coward, it seems, he went into hiding. When his community needed him, pleaded for him to be ordained as their bishop, he ran from the responsibility (laughs) He was eventually, believe it or not, forced to come out of hiding and accept his ordination as bishop. Now, there's plenty of reason to call him a hero, but still, there are a few reasons to think of him as a heel. What of, what of Augustine, right? We just mentioned him, the one who was shepherded by Ambrose. Augustine is one of the most celebrated Christian thinkers of all time. He championed the truth that God saves sinners not on the basis of their works, but by his grace. And yet when it came to the doctrine of justification by faith, we don't really see the the clarity we might want to see from this great church father. Augustine never offered a systematic treatment of the meaning of justification. You look carefully at his works and you will be staring at some ambiguities in his treatment of this central doctrine of the Reformation. But there's no denying that he correctly understood and taught the biblical doctrines of mankind's depravity and of God's sovereignty. Now these are things you might already know, but did you also know he apparently believed that all sexual intercourse, even within the bounds of Christian marriage, involved concupiscence, which is a fancy word for sinful desire. Lust. Augustine additionally said that the use of contraception perverted the purpose of marriage, and so using birth control means that you're committing adultery within marriage. Those are his words. That you're turning your bedchamber into a brothel, he said. And get this. He didn't accept a literal reading of the opening portion of the book of Genesis, as we typically define that phrase, literal reading these days. He felt that six days was far too long a period of time and that God accomplished the creation in a mere moment of time. Egads. I wonder if Ken Ham, founder of Answers in Genesis, knows about this. Do we continue to embrace Augustine as a hero of the true faith? Or do we kick him to the curb as a heretical heel? Living at the same time as Augustine was Eusebius Hieronymus Sophronius. That's a mouthful. No wonder he is better known as Jerome, the translator who gave the world the Latin Vulgate Bible, which would be the standard Christian text for more than a thousand years. When you're talking about the greatest Christian scholars of all time, Jerome is in the conversation. But also, part of his legacy. his disposition. We are told that he was a nasty guy, filled with sarcasm and invective, and he, he pushed back against the immorality and licentiousness of his day with an extreme call to asceticism. There's that theme. It's the third guy mentioned today. His main audience, interestingly, seemed to be women, and he strongly called them away from Rome's hedonistic lifestyle, and supposedly he pushed one woman uh, so far into adopting the ascetic practices that her health rapidly declined and uh, her physical weakness worsened so badly that she died just four months after beginning to follow his instructions. And adding outrage to the situation, Jerome insisted that this lovely young lady not be mourned because the grief over her passing was excessive, he thought. Was he right? Or was he heartless? Incidentally, Jerome was forced to leave his position in Rome after an inquiry was brought up by the Roman clergy into allegations that he had an improper relationship with a widow. There's a lot there when we press in to learn about Jerome's life. Hero or heel? What about Martin Luther? His story is probably about as well known as anybody we're going to talk about today, and so we're going to skate across the surface even more so with him than we have with the others. Martin Luther, of course, is the great reformer. His 95 theses are credited with igniting the Reformation and pulling God's people back to serious study of God's Word. He was a towering intellect, as his many published works testify. He was no wilting flower, that's for sure, testified to by his bravery under pressure to recant his theology. He was exceptionally talented. As his hymns and books and influence, they all testify. He's such a monumental figure. MLK, of course, has his, uh, had him as his namesake, right? Martin Luther King, Jr. And yet there's this other side to this monk-turned-firebrand. His legacy has faced criticism for anti-Semitism. Now many of them work to discount this as Luther simply being a man of his time. Well, even so, let's just say even so, there's still the issue of him having been censured for his handling of a scandal that involved Philip I, because Luther apparently counseled Philip to lie about his bigamy. Plus, Luther's infamous for refusing to compromise with other Protestant leaders, picking fights with some of them, just basically being an angry old man as his life progressed. Is Luther still to be counted as a hero? Or is he a heel? And one can hardly mention Luther without immediately mentioning John Calvin. The French reformer was a master theologian. He was also a lawyer, and he possessed a truly keen analytical mind. The original version of his very, very famous Institutes of the Christian Religion was written when he was 27 years old. But there are a lot of people that don't like him. And the first thing they will usually point to is the execution of Michael Servetus, the man who denied the Trinity and infant baptism. And these Calvin accusers, they do have some good points in favor of their disdain for how Calvin handled that whole Servetus affair. However, Calvin's defenders, they have some good points in their favor too. So for the moment, just for the sake of argument, as they say, let's just set aside that entire Servetus mess, again, just for the moment, and let's look at something else. Did you know that there are some scholarly types today that accuse John Calvin of leaving the door open for there being errors in the original autographs of the Holy Scriptures, meaning that our Bibles are not inerrant, infallible? I think that these scholarly types are straining out gnats, so they haven't proven their case, not even a little bit, in my estimation, but what if they do? What if they should advance their arguments to the point that we would have no intellectually honest reason for rejecting their thesis? What then? Would we automatically have to move Calvin from the column with the heading hero over to the column with the heading heel? And we have the same question regarding slaveholding. In recent years, it's been very in vogue to castigate John Edwards and George Whitfield and Richard Fuller and Reverend R. Furman and so many others for their support of and or per participation in chattel slavery. Now, Edwards is arguably the highest IQ theologian in American history. Whitfield is arguably the most impactful outdoor preaching evangelist to ever set foot on the North American continent. Do we jettison them because a bunch of us think that they got something wrong? And what about Jonathan Edwards? Sometimes being too smart for his own good. Making arguments later in his life that undercut his own arguments for earlier in his life. And not because he changed his mind, but because he was disagreeing with himself. (laughs) Can a man of such inconsistencies be your hero? Or is he destined to join the heap of all the heels? Even in our own day. We have John MacArthur getting his response to lockdown mandates right after first getting it very wrong. And Todd Friel, he's done some spectacular work with his wretched ministry, but then spectacularly he jumped the shark saying that he would walk around wearing spinning pinwheels on his head if the civil magistrates told him that he must. And our brother Neil Shenvey calling out the dangers of woke theology while still attending a woke church led by a woke pastor. And Michael Brown, who loves Jesus, but he has a willingness to give certain heretics every benefit of the doubt for far too long. John Piper, saying that he would not defend his wife from a rapist, which is not only strangely bizarre, but also deeply disturbing. <laughs> And yet he preaches the doctrines of grace with passion and conviction. Will we meet him in heaven? Will we meet Virgil Walker? Even though some find some of his social media posts to be annoying when he posts about Christian nationalism, whatever that's supposed to mean. I am as certain as I can be for someone who can't fully know the mind of God. Of course Virgil will be in heaven and Johnny Mac, and that gangly, freakishly tall Todd Friel, and the somewhat milquetoast Shenvey, and the occasionally naive Michael Brown, and the saccharine sweet Piper, and pretty much everyone else who has been mentioned in this message today, pretty much. If they will be in eternal glory, then this means they are beloved by God. Jesus gave his life for them. Do we appreciate the gravity of this truth? He died for them, yo. How much does he love his bride? Can you even imagine each member of his church is precious to him? And when we disrespect the Lord's body, we disrespect the Lord. When we tear down the Lord's body, we tear down the Lord when we behave in ways that are hateful, unloving, unkind to the Lord's body, we are being hateful, unloving, and unkind to the Lord. King David was a man after God's own heart, but he had a man murdered after stealing that man's wife. Is David a hero or a heel? Solomon is the wisest man in human history, but he had 1,000 women as wives or concubines. Are you kidding? So is he a hero or a heel? Samson, the strongest man ever and a judge for God's people. But almost his entire life, right up until the very, very end, he was basically just a narcissistic punk, always quick with a joke and mean-spirited behaviors. Hero or heel? Well, what does God say? Samson is in the New Testament Hall of Faith. Moses was the great lawgiver of the Old Testament, but also a murderer, sometimes a coward. Hero or heel? Noah, the only man saved, along with his family, from the great deluge in the book of Genesis. He got drunk off his feet. He exposed himself for his sons to see. Is he a hero or a heel? Peter was the leader of Christ's disciples and he denied Jesus three times. Are they heroes or heels? Jonah ran from God. But eventually he turned around and he prophetically pronounced God's warning to Nineveh only to then complain like a girly man. Hero or heal? Abraham, the one who followed God, and so he has promised a really very special land. <laughs> and yet he lied about being married to his wife twice. Hero or heal? Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, he got into a snit with Mark that we read about in the book of Acts in chapter 15. I mean, thank God literally for Barnabas and his willingness to work towards smoothing things over. Is Paul a hero? We don't dare call him a heel, do we? Elijah, he stood up to the false religious teachers of his day with great theatrics, actually. But then he ran away from the queen's threats like a little scaredy cat. And he whined to God, I'm all alone, in 1 Kings chapter 18. We don't dare call Elijah a heel, do we? He's a hero for sure, right? We can continue right on down the line. Isaac, Jacob, Hezekiah, Doubting Thomas, me, you. Are you a hero? Or are you a heel? The truth is, left to ourselves, we are all heels. We were made to be heroes, but we fail in that job description each and every day. It's why we all need God's mercy and grace. It's why we all need Jesus. It's why we all need the Christian brothers and sisters that Jesus has given us for our mutual edification and encouragement, companionship, example, support, accountability, and love. Now, the way this talk has flowed today, it probably strikes you that all of the professing Christians that I have mentioned should be counted as heroes, and I think that is mostly true. Mostly. But possibly not for the reason you could feel is most obvious. I'm not counting the people as heroes because they uh, wrote great books, or died great deaths, or led great movements, or lived in great times or said great things. I mean, they are known for those things. And we read about all this, this stuff in our history books. But understand, all of that greatness, it was accomplished by using the gifts God gave them within the situations that God had placed them for the purposes that God had foreordained for them. And these men of God, they did what they did as ambassadors for the Son of God. As soldiers in Christ's army, and dwelt by his spirit, advancing his kingdom in union with the Messiah. And in union with one another. Their great accomplishments are our great accomplishments because they're Christ's great accomplishments, and we're in him. And all their failures. They're heal like Thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors, well, those belong to us too. They are brothers and sisters with us, co-heirs with Jesus, and so we share in one another's victories. And we carry the load of one another's burdens. And if we don't understand this, then we don't understand Christ. Or his church. Or his mission and purposes. If we don't understand that. If we don't get this. We don't honestly have anything of any value at all. Because we don't grasp the gospel. That's what it's all about. And that's what should motivate the movements of our heart. That's what should animate everything that we strive for. Hope for. Yearn for. Jesus is the pearl of great price. And his people are the apple of his eye. We need to behave in ways that illustrate the truth of this. We need to love one another. This is how everyone knows whether or not we are Yahweh's disciples. Love what God loves, hate what God hates. God hates the wolves. God loves the sheep. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you that we are a patient God. We thank you that you have extended your mercy and grace to your people. That you've called us to yourself and that you are, in our walk of sanctification, conforming us more and more to Christ-likeness. Forgive us for our failures to love as you love. Help us to always be advocates for the truth, but do not lose sight of the way so that we will not miss out on having life. We don't deserve the patience and graciousness you give us. So we praise you all the more for it. Help your people to live out by example to the world the, the unity that we have with one another in and through Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to shut down the stream. Sorry for disappearing from the screen for a second. Find us online at householdoffaithinchrist.com, householdoffaithinchrist.com. Till next time, God bless.